Welcome to the Human and Technology Podcast. This podcast is for anyone who develops, distributes or uses technology. For all those who always have the feeling that technology overwhelms or dominates them. For everyone who wants to know how to deal with technology in everyday life. For anyone who wants to understand what technology does to us and how we can get our lives back. This podcast is for those who want to make technology sexy. All the product developers, designers, UX, UI professionals, product managers, CTOs and CEOs. And it is for you. My name is Dr. Peter Reska. My friends call me Dr. Peter. I am your host and I am happy that you are here. This is uh, the second part of uh, the creation process episode that we have. So uh, last week uh, we talked about things like building scenarios, like creating uh, use cases, uh, like um, yeah, doing all the preliminary work um, that you need to do design and HMI. And This week, uh, it is more about the technical aspects. Uh, how do I use all this information to create the output required to implement an HMI solution? If you have not heard last week's episode, I recommend that you go back there, that you listen to that, and then come back here and listen to the second part. And once you have done all the preliminary activities like uh, the analysis of various data and then put up scenarios, use cases, personas, uh, you run a couple of um, rounds of uh, creativity processes, then it's time to get down into the, let's say, core development of a concept, into the core development of uh, the HMI, whereas... Core does not mean that um, any of the other activities you have done already is anyhow uh, has, has less value. But now we're going to produce uh, documents, data, files, things that um, will be found uh, one way or the other directly or indirectly in the final product. So it's a very indirect connection between a feature and a product and all the analysis you had done up front. But the day will come when you have a direct influence on what will be on the market, what will be in users' hands. And well, um, this is um, what we're going to talk about next. And we start with the rough concepts, the um, yeah, generic concepts, you may call it, um, the starting concept, the overview concept. There are various names out there, but I will use the word rough concept opposed to the detailed concept that uh, will come later. So if you think about a rough concept, You may think, for example, about HMI technologies. Very often, they're already given, uh, even long before you start a project. 
Um, a typical HMI technology, for example, is a touchscreen or is a voice recognition system or is a, um, a keypad that you have or a keyboard that you may have. Um, that maybe the com traditional computing setup, if you design a website or if you design some, some PC software, then you will know that you have a screen and a keyboard and a mouse. And um, so th those are the, the HMI technologies. And for me, when I work with my clients, I very often they had already made a decision before I come in. And very often I find out that this decision may be a bit stupid or at least doubtful. One example, I worked for a company that produced welding machines. And so I don't know whether you are aware in which context these welding machines are used. It's dirty, it's noisy, uh, it is um, very uncontrolled, it might be super tight uh, so it is very uncomfortable and people using welding machines um, they usually wear um, leather clothes they wear leather gloves they wear helmets um, with visors so um, it is a pretty rough and pretty tough environment um, you're in and uh, the the distance, the distance between the user and the technology is pretty big due to all these uh, protections that this person has. And then my client came up with the idea, hey, we have an HMI innovation. We will use touch screens on our welding machines. And um, it was a pretty tough uh, way to tell them, to convince them, to teach them that this is not a good idea. Of course, if you have your welding machine in a well-protected uh, well uh, production environment, if it is a laboratory style of factory, no problem, you can use touchscreens. And if it is automated uh, processes so that you just put in a couple of parameters and then the machine works by itself, no problem. But if you have a look at, um, for example, a car shop uh, or any kind of, of boat builder, boat workshops, there they work under such harsh conditions um, that touchscreens simply do not make any sense. And uh, so you have to make these uh, decisions um, at one point in time that you say, okay, we have a certain user group, we have a certain environment, we have a certain target market, and what technologies make sense in this context? Another thing you may think about, if it's about a rough concept, is what will be displayed where? And I call this the, the liquid HMI, meaning that um, particularly in cars, if you have a car dashboard, but that's happening in other cockpits and other complex control environments as well that um, you have uh, that you can choose or that you can have different um, locations where information may be displayed one example if you have a car and you have the speed of the car you can display this in the cluster instrument but you can also show it in the head-up display or if you have an incoming call you can show this on the center stack display. You can show this in the cluster instrument. 
or you can show this in a head up or you can show it in all of them or just two of them and so the question what will be displayed where is a core thing that you should do during the rough concept phase just by having an idea all right we're going to show this information on display a and another dis uh, information on display b and then we have display C, or we have maybe some, some oral output um, that we will use. Um, so that, that is, that is a, a part of the, of the rough concept phase. And the same is for the manipulation. So if you have various means of manipulation, for example, voice and a steering wheel device and a touch screen, um, and uh, there was the, the MBUX, the first version of Mercedes, uh, the, the latest or almost latest infotainment cockpit system they had. They even had a touchpad there. So they had at least four different instances, four different uh, HMI technologies to manipulate information, to uh, yeah, to steer things, to control things. And um, do I do it by voice? Do I do it on the touch screen? Do I do it on the steering wheel? And so, again, you have to um, you have to to make a decision. What will I manipulate with what device? Then the question: Which information will be displayed in which way? So do I have, for example, a digital speed? So for example, showing the figures five and zero for 50 kilometers per hour. Or do you have a needle on an instrument, uh, on, on a traditional instrument? Or is it a, even, even on screens, we very often have these needle instruments. And how do I show this? How do I show the charging level of my battery? How do I show um, uh, a music title? And you know, how, how will I do this? And, and uh, again, we can start with a very generic, very rough ideas about OS1 and later on drill them down into something detailed and more concrete. Then one core question, uh, which I find is one of the most important questions in this phase and which is very often ignored in HMI development processes. That is the questions, how do interactions work? How do I interact with the system? What do I need to do to do what? So how do I type in or how do I put in a destination into a navigation system? How do I steer the temperature uh, in some kind of chemical process? How do I do this? And how get I, do I get the information? How do I get the information of, of what I have done? And how do I get the information about possible differences between what I want to do and what I have actually done? And there are all this let's say the more static part of it, the menu trees um, that is pretty often ignored or yeah, let's do some menu tree. 
and um, also the dynamic part uh, of the interactions, the uh, processes. Um, questions like, for example, what happens if I do activity A and then a highly prioritized activity B needs to be performed? How do I get this information? Are there any overlays or is something faded out or is there a separate display for this? And all these things, um, they do a lot with the quality of the product at the end. They steer enormous amounts of the usability, enormous amounts of the user experience. Then uh, we talked about different roles in different systems. Um, how do they? How, how do these roles influence um, the interaction scenarios, the manipulation uh, possibilities, location of information? How is all that changed when I change the role? And part of that, for example, is which is my main screen, which is my main interaction device, which is my main interaction scenario. And then I may have secondary and tertiary functions um, that, that I need to control, that I need to do, and um, how are they covered, and how do I define what is a primary function, what needs to be in the core of the interaction process, and what is a secondary or tertiary activity that uh, may be on a lower prioritized interaction device. So with this, um, you start, you think about the technologies, what will be shown where, what will be manipulated where, how will things be displayed and manipulated, how are interaction scenarios designed, um, and what are primary, tertiary, uh, secondary and tertiary information. How do you do this? How do you work with these rough concepts, with the generic concepts? My idea, my favorite way of working in this phase is think on paper. Take a sheet of paper. Um, I have my notebooks with me all the time. I make scribbles there. Take a larger sheet of paper, draw on it, paint on it. And uh, one of my clients in, in Shanghai, a Chinese company, they had in every meeting room, they had glass walls, and then they had pens um, that, that you could use to write or draw on these glass walls, and you could delete it. And I found it very, very inspiring, very positive to just grab a pen and uh, we were discussing about uh, a lot of automotive technology, just sketching uh, a one-to-one -one, uh, size uh, dashboard, a steering wheel, maybe the paddles and, um, and then a couple of displays, the entire dashboard, and then discuss, think, discuss with these people, talk to them, hey, where do you want to show this? Uh, how, how about a head-up display here for this information and can we remove it from there and so it's very easy, very fast, very direct, and, and very flexible to, to do this uh, either on paper or even better on these glass walls uh, with, with the pens. And um, at the end, if you're done, you can take a, a picture of this. Um, you can uh, make, make a photo with your smartphone um, to, to store it and, and, and to continue working on this. 
But for the very first creative phase for thinking about this, how do we do it? How do we continue? Where do we do what? And how we do we how do we do this? Um, this thinking on paper or on glass is um, a very very good thing. Then you may use um, some text to describe it. You may add it to the sketches that you did. Um, you may put an extra document um, where you say, okay, uh, we have a couple of rules we always follow. Um, for example, there's always a back button on the upper left on the touch screen, or um, we'll have different color codes for different sub-functions. Um, we will always have this font, or we will have a minimum font size of this size, and so on and so on. So um, these are things that, that you can put down um, and then text files. If you work with um, with three D products, um, let's say real products, not only um, screen screen designs, paper uh, prototypes are very good. Um, you can just glue them together with uh, pieces of cardboard or pieces of paper and work with them. You can also produce uh, if you have a an, an app or a PC application or some, some screen design, then you can also work with uh, paper and pencil prototypes. So maybe you take um, 10, 15 pieces of paper in the size of your targeted screen, and then you draw your main screens on this. Okay, this is the entry screen. This is what the user sees first when the app is started. And then um, the user presses this button, and then um, you draw another screen that pops up when the when the user is uh, is doing that, is performing the action. And so you can create paper and pencil prototypes. Also very flexible, a little more elaborated than the thinking on paper in the very first step, and a little more flexible, a little more interactive. And uh, I have done studies uh, for my clients where we used these paper and pencil prototypes to do the very first uh, usability feedbacks, to just go out, ask a couple of people, hey, imagine you have um, this on your screen and you press this button, what do you expect? Which screen should pop up? And then they can select from the 10, 15 uh, pieces of paper you have the right screen. And then you can, can uh, ask them, okay, is this something you understand? Is this good or bad? Could it be any anyhow more elaborated? And so on and so on. So you can do something already with this and already collect a couple of, of user feedbacks on this one. Another tool that I really like is mind mapping. There are various open source free mind mapping tools available on the internet. And if not, uh, the, the ones you have to pay for are not that expensive. But having one on your PC is almost a must if you are an user experience user interface uh, HMI designer. And you can use this for various things, for example, collecting and sorting information, for example, um, building menu trees. Uh, I have a function here, where does it belong? You have the, the main functions, and then you have the sub-functions, and you have sub-sub-functions, and um, you can have all these this, this discussions, and you can share it, you can discuss it with your colleagues and, and, and with other 
involved parties and and based on this mind map you can have then a menu tree or you can have a um, collection of information and you can sort it and i'm using these mind maps in, in various contexts for example uh, my my podcast planning the production plan is is a mind map um, so i have various um uh, I have an English uh, 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 podcast and I have a German podcast and um, then I have the different, um, yeah, more professional, more public or more more, yeah, more popular items uh, I want to talk about. And so I'll sort them through and, and uh, maybe I collect some information into this mind map. There is this website, that book I could talk about. And uh, so it's very good and very visual on, and very easy to understand if you create a mind map. You can do pretty much the same with an Excel sheet or with a Word table. Um, it is possible, and I have done this in the past. And if you have um, tons of written information or even maybe numbers and figures um, you want to deal with, then an Excel uh, may be a good tool. From my point of view, it has a lower priority than all the others I have mentioned. And at the very end, there is one thing that I heavily recommend if you work on rough concepts that is called wireframing. Wireframing basically means that you put down your screens, your idea of a certain screen of an interaction status as, as the name says, as a wireframe. So it is uh, lines, black lines on white paper or uh, black black pixels on a white background if you work on a screen and um, yeah then you sketch a screen you say okay this is my my entry screen if i open an app um, i have this one here if i turn on a system the very first screen is this one and um, then you say i have uh, i don't know six uh, buttons on it and i have a headline and i have a bottom line and I have a swiping uh, um, symbol, an icon that, that indicates me that I can swipe the screen. And you put all this um, in a black and white way without any any design, without any, how oh, this needs to be blue, this needs to be black, and then I need to have an orange uh, highlighter, whatever. None of that. It's only just the structure of the screen. It's the construction of a screen that you have. And there are a few wireframing tools out there. I'm not aware of any open source free, but um, they're not uh, enormously expensive, but they're enormously helpful. And uh, whatever tool you have, then none of them is, uh, is perfect. Uh, none of those I know is, is, is total rubbish. Um, just try a few, maybe in, in a free version, a free license, and find out the one you like most. But wireframing, if you want to develop an HMI, is a very useful thing. And some of them even allow to relate screens, uh, wireframed screens, to each other. Saying, so, okay, you have these the entry screen with six buttons on it, and uh, if I press the upper left button, then I jump to a certain screen with a certain content in it. And you can do this. You can create these relationships in the wireframing tool and then um, already set up a small prototype and again use that for uh, first usability feedbacks, user feedbacks uh, that you may want to collect.
All right, let's move on to the detailed concept. So you had a rough concept and then we go on with a detailed concept. And again, um, you can do a lot of wireframing in this phase. Um, you can elaborate your entire complete full HMI and wireframes depending on the kind of product, depending on the process that you have and depending on the relationship between those people that develop the HMI concept and those that implement the software, um, a full wireframe concept may be useful. Very often it is overshooting a bit. Um, so it depends on the environment you're in. It depends on the product you have. It depends on the entire concept, whether a full wireframe concept makes sense or not. And then you start with a graphic design. Go, go and say, okay, I want to have a blue background. I want to have uh, a yellow font. I want to have whatever, all these things. And there are professionals for this. They are graphic designers, they are screen designers, they are media designers. Uh, these guys are very well educated. And if you're one of those, congratulations. Um, you know a lot about how to design information and interfaces on a visual basis. If you're not one of these guys, don't do graphic design. So I myself, I'm not a graphic designer and I won't do any graphic design by means of selecting colors, selecting shades, making final arrangements of elements of components on a screen. I just don't do it. You then continue to think about the distribution of information uh, on the screen, where is, uh, what is showing where. You elaborate menu trees. How do you um, arrange the information? How do you sort it? What belongs where? Where do users search for it? Then you design the entire interaction so if I press this button, that happens. Or if I make a voice command and also at the same time I press a button, what happens then? So those are the things that you do um, when you design the interaction. For example, the back concept is, is a very important one. So you will need, you will probably need some kind of back button, back functionality. How is that designed? Is it more a historical back? Is it a hierarchical back? All those are details you work on when you are in the phase of uh, a detailed concept development. Then you start prototyping. Um, you build prototypes on various levels. We already talked about paper and pencil prototypes, about paper and cardboard prototypes uh, for products uh, that you may have. You may then go on um, beyond the wireframing prototypes uh, into, let's say, more real prototypes using a more elaborated design. The, um, the thing with prototyping is you can spend enormous amounts of time and money into prototyping. And uh, then at the end of the day, if you, for example, do this with a PC prototyping tool, you will find out it will never work on an embedded system like in a car or in a plane or on a smartphone. It just doesn't work. And so you will need uh, tools that allow prototyping 
for a certain target platform, for a certain system that you design for. There are a few of them out there um, that you can use and uh, all of none of them is, is really good. Um, but but none of them is real rubbish again. So you can use all of them. They all have their, their strengths and weaknesses. They all have their history. They all have their focus points. But uh, you can go out there and just to, to name drop a few, Candera is one, uh, Kenzie Rightware is one, Qt is one, Electromid Guide is one. So all these are tools that are for prototyping and, and this is the strong point for all of those mentioned, also for the final implementation. So you have a smooth handover then in that area. And this is the final point here on the detailed concepts uh, for the moment. How do I design the interface towards the software implementation? What tools do we use to make all these detailed concepts? In the early phases, um, you can use Office tools. Um, you can use um, these open source tools that I meant. Uh, you can use wireframing tools. Then if it gets down to, uh, let's say, towards an implementation, towards creating a product, other tools will come in. For graphic designers, it is still uh, Adobe Photoshop, which is the top priority number one. There are a few others um, out there, particularly for the for the Apple world, that uh, may take over in the future. But um, at the moment, uh, see Photoshop as the standard, which is which is set in graphic design. Then uh, I talked about the prototyping tools. Uh, I already mentioned a few of them. There are more than I mentioned. Um, have a look at them. And um, then there are the implementation tools, uh, which may be the same like the prototyping tools, but they may be different. And so you have to prepare all of this for the implementation. I every now and then mentioned that uh, you can do a user feedback, that you can do a usability test or collect user feedback. And there will definitely be at least one, probably a row of episodes on usability testing, on user experience testing. How do you do this? How do you cut your, your, your uh, user group? And then all these things. Uh, your participants, how do you select them? And then what what uh, processes do you apply? What what statistics, uh, statistic analysis do you run? Um, so just a very quick look um, at this one, but be aware that at any point in time during the entire process, you will need user feedback. You will have your usability gates in the development and you can have various um, tools for this uh, just to mention a few focus groups um, is inviting people having open discussions with people they may be users they may be professionals if you design something for pilots uh, you invite three four or five pilots and interview them and, and show them what you have done what your thinking is and collect the feedback so this is a focus group. Uh, another one um, is um, expert rating. 
You can invite experts, which may be people like me, and um, they either have a look at uh, your product, at your th thoughts, at what you what you want to do, or um, we apply standardized tools uh, to to get, uh, let's say, a more neutral, less subjective rating uh, on on a certain HMI, on a solution, on the usability, on what will work and not. Then uh, we have paper and pencil testing. Um, draw your HMI, draw your UX UI that you have and show it to people, talk to them. And then um, if you go on, you can have uh, quick little usability tests. Maybe you have, uh, I don't know, five people you're invite and um, you have 10, 15 tasks to solve and you watch them, you ask them, you do this. As I said, we will have at least one, probably more than one episode in the near future on usability testing. Or you have a large-scale usability study, uh, which means uh, 20, 25, 30, maybe even 100, 150 people you invite with a very formal setup, uh, laboratory-style lab, uh, setup, with a high number of data collection tools that you apply with... Um, with a let's say process with a strategy behind this and um, I mean you you will probably not do every day or on a regular basis big usability studies but uh, two or three during a one-year process is uh, the normal rate that you have if you want to bring a complex product to the market okay so um what do you deliver? What what do you produce? What documents do you produce? What what is the result of your work? The let's say physical result um, that 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 you have. And the first thing is the specification. You need to have a document at the very end that describes your HMI solution. And this uh, combines a verbal and graphical description of your HMI. It describes the functions, the tasks, um, the, the basic structure of the system. Um, you will maybe have some wireframes in this. Um, you will have all the screen contents and structures in it. Uh, you will have menu trees, uh, the entire structure of the system, the sorting, and you will describe all the processes, the interaction processes that run in a system. And um, the size of a specification depends on various factors. One is the complexity of the HMI, of the system, of the technology that you want to specify, that you want to make an HMI for. So if it is a very easy, very simple thing, you maybe have three, four, five pages of specification. The smallest one I ever had uh, for, for a car navigation or for a car infotainment system was 40 pages, which was definitely not the final one. It was just a rough description of the system. But the biggest one I ever had was just the written specification was about 1,500 pages. 1,500 pages to describe a system. And as I said, the complexity is one factor. 
Another factor is the interaction between you as a designer, as a UX UI designer, as a person that writes the specification, that has the idea, that has developed the concept for the HMI on one side, and on the other side, those that implement it. And uh, if you work in the same team, if you sit in the same office, if you work closely together anyway, specification may be shorter, maybe more, 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 more condensed. But if these implementing people, so if you sit in the US or if you sit in, in Europe and uh, your implementation team sits in India or in, in, in China or in Malaysia and any faraway location, then you will need a more detailed, a bigger, a larger specification. So this, from my experience, is, is a very important thing that you say, okay, um, I have a very complex HMI and the people that will write all the software, that will construct all the electronics hardware, that will do all the mechanical hardware, they are far away from me and I cannot talk to them on a, let's say, minute by minute or at least hour by hour basis, then you will need to have a lot of more specification, a bigger specification compared to I have a super easy small product and uh, the guy writing the software is sitting on the other side of my desk and he was involved in any step. So basically we all know what we want to have and I just need to put down a couple of things. So those may be two extremes um, that uh, you can find in reality that you can find in, in product design departments. Then you produce graphics. And as I said, whenever it gets graphic, there are professionals for this. And I know that many of my listeners are graphic designers, screen designers, and media designers. And if you're not, don't mess with them. They, they know what they do. Um, they're professionals in this. They've learned this. And of course, you can discuss it with them. You can give your input. But uh, if a uh, graphic designer says, no, I need to do this this way, that way, um, yeah, just believe them. And what their output are, outputs are, are graphic designs. Um, the graphics today are prepared to be implemented into software tools. So there are these development tools I've mentioned, and uh, whenever they are, uh, and there's any of these out there, they, or every, every tool of this uh, needs a specific preparation of the graphics before it's implemented into the software. So there are certain components like icons, lists, scroll bars that need to be extracted, the layering of the graphic, the background versus the frame versus the buttons needs to be in a certain certain way, arranged in a certain way, needs to be named in a certain way, or if you have a button and, and you have an active and inactive and an available and a non-available status, um, so these different statuses are, are connected to this. And as I said, uh, this is a very, very detailed and long process that you need to run. And it heavily depends on the implementation tools that you apply. All right, and then at the very end, um, you may produce a style guide, which is a generic description of the HMI. You may have a company style guide. So it says, my company, ABC, um, uses the color orange as blue as main colors, and we have black and white for 
fonts and writing and we use uh, this font and so on and so on and so on. So this is a company style guide. Then um, you have a product style guide um, that is more focused on a single product. You may also have corporate HMI, corporate identity uh, style guides, which are closely connected to the company style guides. These style guides, um, as I said, describe we have the corporate color, um, for example, beyond HMI has the corporate color dark red, which in RGB is 12800. Uh, you can try that on your PC, 12800. That's the beyond HMI color. And so, so documents and HMIs and whatever is maybe connected to, to beyond HMI will have this color, this dark red color somewhere. These style guides, uh, they give a certain standard. They are a certain standard. They give a certainty. Um, they yeah, make sure that you do not do total nonsense. Um, so they give you a ground to stand on, but uh, they also create unflexibility. So if you say, uh, hmm, this uh, orange and blue doesn't really look good in an HMI. And then the corporate guys can, no, 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 no. We need to keep the corporate colors. And you say, oh, but it's very hard to reach an orange font on the blue, dark blue background. <laughs> so, yeah, there, there is fighting on this. And then there is, I mean, I never had a project with a marketing department with a, with a corporate uh, style got involved where we did not reach the point where we had to, to really think um, how far can we hurt the corporate identity, the corporate style guides, the company style guides uh, to, to get a good usability and easy legibility and yeah, ease of use and a good user experience. But this uh, is something that you will need to, to uh, solve on every single project. There's no way around this. All right, let's summarize. Um, if you have a user-centered design process, uh, you have in the very first phase, that was another episode uh, of, of the Human Technology Podcast, you have these analysis, you have the results of the analysis, you know who your users are, you know what kind of product you have, you know about uh, anything about the legal restrictions, uh, you know your target markets, um, you know your intercultural issues that you have, and then you have all these, these results involved there. Then uh, you know something about roles, personas, and use cases. You have the scenarios developed, and you put this one into rough concepts. And uh, these rough concepts, they describe in a rough way, in a generic way, how the concept is. What is displayed? Where? Uh, where do I need to show what? How do I manipulate what? What kind of technologies are involved? That is all uh, in, in, in the phase of making a rough concept. And then you may uh, have the first usability gate there, the first quality gate. Um, you have to put your concept through. And then you get more and more into detailed concepts. And you say, yes, I have this detailed concept here and I'm working on this and this and that. And then you make another usability gate to fix it. And at the very end, you deliver an HMI specification and you deliver the graphics 
to the people who implement your HMI solution. That's it for today. Thank you for spending time with me. I hope you were able to take something with you and do something for yourself that will be forever. For an ongoing exchange, you will find me on LinkedIn and on my websites, peter-rusker.com and beyond-hmi.de. Write me an email on the podcast at beyond-hmi.de. Tune in next time. Take care and stay healthy.